0: We've somehow gotten it all backwards. Our quest for purpose and fulfillment has led us to squander our lives, toiling to build for ourselves our own personal kingdoms. We want to be important. We want to be first. We want to be known. And so we've forgotten that we were never put here to build our own kingdoms. We were put here to build God's kingdom. And to the world, God's kingdom is backwards, upside down if you will. Jesus flipped the script and told us that the first will be last and the least will be greatest. And so we have to unlearn everything the world has taught us. It means to live in God's upside down kingdom.
1: Three weeks ago, we launched a new series which we wanted to have leading up to Easter during the Lent season, which we entitled Crossroads. And as we study the scriptures leading up to the cross, we are being reminded that the value system of the kingdom of God is opposed to the value system of the world. The value system of the kingdom of God is opposed to the value system of the world. Some refer to this as the upside-down kingdom. Some refer to it as the great reversal. Already in 12 short verses, we've observed the following. We have observed that the Messiah is predicting his rejection by none other than the religious elite of Israel, Those who are anticipating him, those who understand what the Messiah represents and and teaching and keeping that before the people more than anyone, his rejection by them, yet an uneducated fisherman recognizes and declares him as the Messiah. Completely reversed, completely upside down. We have the Messiah declaring That yes, there will be victory and yes, there will be glory as all of those have expected to be a part of the Messiah's coming. But it will come through humiliation of rejection and death rather than coming in and overthrowing the dominance of a foreign government. We have seen the faithful followers of Jesus being told that instead of being esteemed and protected from hardship because they are his followers, that they, because they follow him, will instead need to bear their own cross, deny themselves, and follow in his footsteps of humble submission, obedience, surrender, and pain. Complete reversal of everything they would have anticipated and expected. It's all upside down. Last week, Jessica did an excellent job of unpacking verse 24. Now, wow, she's not even here. I wasn't here, but I I listened online after. Uh, This week. She did an excellent job of unpacking verse 24, where she looked at deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So just imagine with me this morning. I know you lost an hour of sleep. I know it's hard for you, some of you, to keep your eyes open, but people, it's just sleep, and it's just an hour. Like, seriously. But just work with me this morning. Get your imagination moving. You are standing on a mountain peak with me. Are you there? Okay, you're on the mountain peak. And as you're standing on that mountain peak, you are looking across a mountain range that has three more mountains. Okay, you got that? And you can see the peak of each of these mountains. But what you can't see is what lies in between the valleys of these three mountains. All you can see are the tips, the peaks of these valleys. Well, last week, what Jessica gave us was the view from the top of the mountain. Helping us see the three peaks of these three mountains. You know, Mount, deny yourself. Mount, take up your cross. Mount, follow me. Significant points in following Jesus to the cross. What I want to do today is attempt to walk you through the valleys between the peaks as Jesus elaborates in verses 25 to 27 on what it really means to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. What that will look like as he elaborates on this significant verse, which we found in verse 24. And so the main emphasis of this message this morning is simply this The value system of the world no longer applies when we become followers of Jesus. The value system of the world no longer applies when we become followers of Jesus. So let's read our scripture together this morning. Matthew 16, uh, picking up at verses 25 to 27. For whoever wants to save their life I want us to notice that each of these verses in this section, the three verses, all begin with the word for, F-O-R. Now, I tend to use the NIV when I'm preaching publicly, and in the NIV translation, verse 26 doesn't have the word for in the English translation. But I want to ensure you this morning that in the original Greek, when this was written, each of these three verses begin with the word for. F-O-R. Now the word for is important here for two reasons. First of all, it connects what was said in the previous verse that Jessica preached on last week With what is about to follow. The thoughts that follow are directly connected to that verse with the words for. But secondly, the word for indicates further explanation. Fleshing it out, if you will, of what was said in the previous verses. And so I've chosen as my outline this morning to build around the three fours. Not to be confused with the nine pieces of eight in the Pirates of the Caribbean. But the three fours. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay. Specifically, we're going to consider the themes that each of these fours connect to the previous verse. So the first one is life. The theme of life. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. It's important to understand what Jesus is talking about when he uses the word life. Life. Because the word life includes three different areas, if you will, parts, elements, aspects, that contribute to the full meaning of life. First is the Physical body, the breathing, functioning, living being, our bodies. That's life. They're alive. The second is the soul. The soul being the seat of the emotions, our our feelings, our desires, our passions, our affections, the things we like, the things we love, our aversions, the things we don't like, the things we hate, like broccoli. Soul. The third element is an eternal element. Human beings are created for eternity even though our physical bodies die. And so Jesus is talking about the full understanding of life here. Holistically, not just the physical life, not just the emotional life. Not just the eternal life, but all of life. He is referencing what makes all of us a complete human being. What makes a person a person. And so he says, whoever wants or whoever intends to save their life. This statement teaches us that there's a choice involved. There is a decision here In this statement, because if you want to save one's life, you know, you had to choose to do that. And the word save means to keep it safe. To keep it safe. To rescue it, sorry, from danger. Self-preservation. And so what he's saying is this. If the focus, if the desire, if the priority of your life is to ensure that your life is safe, if the focus, if the desire, if the priority of your life is controlling your circumstances in order for you to achieve what it is you desire, the result will be that you will lose it in the end. The word lose is the opposite of save. It will be destroyed. It will be ruined. But whoever loses his life for my sake, on account of me, he said, they will actually find it. We have the great reversal here. And the word find it means after you have searched for something for a while, you come across it, you acquire it, you access it. So what Jesus is addressing here really is the issue of priorities in light of the bigger picture of life. The issue of making temporary life, here and now, more important than eternal life. The issue of living in the moment with no sense of how living now connects to the bigger picture of life. And so culture tells us to live in the moment. We are to live in the moment. Right? I mean, who hasn't had a Facebook meme on your newsfeed? Live in the moment. Do what feels good. What makes you feel good? Do that. That we are the most important. Of all that we can focus on, we are the most important. We deserve happiness. We deserve the good life. That's what culture tells us. We are bombarded with those messages everywhere we turn. Because the focus of the world, the focus of culture is on what I want, what I need, how I feel, how I want to feel right now. That's the value and importance of culture. And so the result of that is people find that despite their best efforts to attain happiness, to attain fulfillment and contentment, they most often end up feeling empty and dissatisfied and disappointed. Because the truth is, nothing we can do in this life can fill the place in our lives that was created for God. Nothing can. And so if we are unwilling to allow God to have his rightful place and to shape our priorities, we will either never accomplish what we set out to do, or if we do accomplish what we desire, we will most often find it surprisingly empty. Surprisingly empty. We get to the end of the rainbow and the pot of gold is empty. See, there's a problem. Culture's priorities do not focus on the full person. Culture focuses on the physical body. Culture focuses more and more on the emotional state. But culture rarely focuses on the eternal element of a human being. And so in a sense, if these three pieces make us up, there's a third that culture is not speaking to, appealing to, or meeting the need of as we pursue the priorities of culture. Now Jesus calls us to follow him. And in following him, we live our lives with eternity in view. We don't just live our lives for this moment. We don't live for what feels good, for what we want right now, for the satisfaction that we are going to find in this limited moment with all of these things. We live with eternity in view. And so if what he's saying is, if we are willing to submit to him in obedience, if we're willing to put serving him ahead of everything else, it may seem like we're losing. Especially when we start comparing our lives. I mean, the psalmist says it. Why does the wicked prosper? Why do all these people around me seem to be excelling and succeeding? And they have all of this. And they're not living for you. And here am I. I am just giving everything to you. And it seems like I have nothing. There are moments when it may seem like we are losing. When we compare our lives to others. But in fact, Jesus says, you are gaining. Because he's seeing it in the bigger picture. I remember being 17 years of age. I remember standing at an altar at family camp. And I remember like it was today. The Holy Spirit impressing on me. That God was asking me to give my life to full-time ministry. And many of you heard me talk about this. I resisted. I didn't want it. I wasn't interested. I would have been happy if, you know, give it to somebody else. Unlike most grade 12 or high school people, I wasn't one of those people who didn't know what they wanted to do with their lives. I didn't need first year university of general studies to figure out. I already knew what I wanted to do. I had a plan. Does that surprise you? I had a plan. I had it figured out. I could see it. My friends had plans of where they were going to go and what they were going to do. We all had our thing. And I remember just being so resentful. Like seriously, he gets to be that and she gets to be that and they get to go there. But I have to do this. I have to lay aside my plans. That wasn't easy for me. In fact, I said, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You may note if you come to me and say, "I feel God is calling you to ministry." I say, "You may or better make sure it's right because this is the last place you want to be if you shouldn't be here." I'm telling you, you don't want to be in the ministry if God doesn't want you there. I know that I make this look glamorous. I know. <laughs> but it isn't. <laughs> and so I resisted. I thought, "You know what? I'm not doing it." My mom knew that God was calling me and she saw me filling out my applications to do my own thing. And she's praying like crazy. And of course, not just praying. Because my mother felt like God couldn't do it all on his own. Like she needed to meddle in it, right? I'm sure there's no mothers here like that. You know, and so she's trying to guilt me. Because she was really good at guilt. And uh, she's, she's been dead for a long time. But I still feel guilty sometimes. But over time. I came to the point where, and it took some time. It took being in the training process before I finally reached the point where I said, okay, I surrender my will. My life is not mine, God. It's yours. Use it as you want. Now, I wish I could tell you that that was the moment on that day, and I resolved that issue, and I've never had to look back. But that would be a lie because I got to tell you, every single morning when my feet hit the floor, I have to make that same decision for God. Every day when I get out of that bed, my decision is: my life is not mine, Lord, it is yours. Use it as you will, do what you want. Take me where you want to. Take me. Use me where you want to use me. Whatever that means. It may be pain. It may be joy. I don't know. But it's not my life. It's yours. My point is this. In God's kingdom, to find your life, you had to surrender it. It's not just the pastor that has to pray that prayer when they get out of bed in the morning. It's every single follower of Jesus. My life is not mine. I give it to you today. I completely and totally surrendered. And if you're anything like me, it's not going to come easy ever, even after a really long period of time. But in God's kingdom, you find life when you surrender it. In God's kingdom, the priority of our temporary lives cannot be elevated over the reality of eternal life of the bigger picture of the kingdom of god secondly possessions you know what's really exciting about preaching this morning the clock is telling me it's only 10:15 <laughs> and i don't have to have you out till what 11:30 quarter to 12 i feel so little pressure this morning i've never felt so free never felt so free Possessions. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And so what Jesus is doing here, he's asking two rhetorical questions. That the answer to the questions are obviously implied in the question itself, thus a rhetorical question. Right? Now it's important to note here that in the English... They go from life to soul in this verse. But in the original language, it's actually the same word. It could just as easily be life as soul. The idea of here is the same as in the previous verse. The idea of life in the fullest, the most complete, body, soul, and spirit, if you will. All of life. What is there? what value if you lose the wholeness of life? And so the first questions he asks is, what will, good will it be for you to gain the whole world, yet forfeit your soul or your life? The word gain is a financial term. It refers to economic acquisition. So you gain all this economic stuff into your life, but in the process, you forfeit. The word forfeit is a judicial term. And so it's like when you don't pay enough parking and you get the ticket. Or you go through the red light. Or you're speeding. Not that any of you would do any of that. But then you have to pay a fine. And receive punishment. Because you've done something wrong. And so he's blending a financial term of gain, of gathering all this stuff. And at the end of the day, receiving punishment and losing out. And it costing you. What Jesus is telling them is that there is no good There's no profit. There's no advantage to focusing on attaining everything that the world has to offer at the expense of one's personal relationship with Jesus. And then the question is, or what can anyone give in exchange for his soul or in exchange for his life? I mean, once the life is gone, you can't buy it back, is what Jesus is saying. All the money, all the things that you have attained, all the successes that you've gained, all the accolades, the trophies, the plaques, the write-ups, none of that can bring back a life that was not surrendered to Jesus. None of it is of enough value to pay the penalty to fix it. It just can't. Life in God's kingdom is so valuable that nothing that we can attain in this world can come close to the value and the importance of God's kingdom. Jesus is saying, it's a bad deal to sacrifice a surrendered life in order to attain the things of the world. He's saying, it's not a good bargain. Folks, the truth is, Our culture is a very materialistic culture. We have placed a very high priority on things, on money, on experiences. And if, we were to stand, if I were to stand here today and rail against culture and not admit that the church itself has been shaped by a materialistic culture, we would be living in denial and I would be preaching a lie. I would be preaching a lie. Because I believe to my core. That one of the greatest challenges. That the church faces. In the day and age that we live in. Is the contamination of cultural values. That shape even those. Who are followers of Jesus. To the detriment of the kingdom of God. Oh sure clap for Jessica. But go quiet for me. See sadly. It is very difficult to distinguish between the lifestyle of someone who's not a follower of Jesus and the lifestyle of someone who is. It's becoming increasingly blurred. And so our quest as followers of Jesus for a certain lifestyle, for certain things, for money, for travel, for experiences... They're causing us to put all of our time and energy and we're working ourselves to death to sustain it. We're spending recklessly to achieve it. We're accumulating record levels of debts to sustain it. We spend our limited resources on things that have no eternal value. And in the end, we compromise what matters most in exchange for things that matter very little. The fallout of being driven by all of these cultural values is we're sacrificing our marriages. And so Christian marriages, and I know there's a debate of whether the statistics are correct, but many suggest that Christian marriages are failing at the rate of secular marriages. Whether it's the same rate or not, we see an alarming rate of marriage failure in the context of the church. Far too much. Far too much. We're losing relationship with our children. Many of us are raising kids that we don't know. Because we have no time to be with them. That we want to offer you know, quality time in exchange for quantity time. And so we're giving them all the toys and we're giving them all the money. I remember driving with one of our funeral directors and he lives in Oakville and he's talking about what his kids' friends have and he said they work so much that they just throw their money at their kids. They said they have the best of everything but they don't have a home. They come home to an empty house because mom and dad are so busy working to pay for it all there's no relationship with their kids. There's no relationship with their kids. We neglect to take care of ourselves. And we've traded a genuine life of surrender to Jesus for a facade of Christianity. A facade of Christianity. A Christianity that has no time to serve God's kingdom. Who has time for that? I'm too busy trying to keep all the balls in the air to live my life. Why? Because the life you're creating is not flowing with God's kingdom. I'm sorry. It just isn't. And so there's no time to serve God's kingdom because I'm too busy serving my own. There's no money to invest in God's kingdom. I need everything I had to prop up my own. Even if it means my only furniture is a table and a chair and a mattress on the floor, i got to have this house. I mean, sadly, that is such a reality in our culture. I can't give to the kingdom of God. I can't afford it. Well, Why can't I afford it? Because the monster I've created is consuming everything that's killing me to earn. That's the reality. That's reality. Folks, I'm not saying you can't be financially successful and still be obedient to God's kingdom. I'm not saying that. But I have met many who are. Who are in that situation. That they're not building God's kingdom because they are so obsessed with a materialistic culture. And there are some that are using their resources to do great things in the kingdom of God. And it's amazing. I'm going to tell you, we've been able to accomplish things in this church and in God's kingdom and in other countries around the world because there are people of means who have more than most of us who are willing to generously give to it. That's wonderful. But Jesus himself taught many times about how hard it is to balance the drive for financial gain with obedient living. Some people can manage it, but most of us can't. Most of us can't. The truth is most of us can't get it right, and that's what Jesus was trying to warn. And it's especially problematic when we sacrifice wholehearted obedience to God and surrender to Jesus to pursue a materialistic lifestyle. We abandon the only possibility for true happiness We abandon the only possibility for real meaning, seeking instead something that promises happiness and meaning and can't deliver. It can't deliver. In God's kingdom, earthly wealth and accomplishment are a means of greater investment in his purposes. To pursue them for personal gain will pale in comparison To the reward of faithfully serving Jesus in obedience. Possessions. And thirdly, judgment. The third four. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Jesus is teaching his followers that their present lives are attached to the future. They're not lived in isolation. They're attached to the future. That how they live now will have significant implication on what will happen when Jesus returns. And so he's saying, yes, I'm going to die. Yes, God is going to raise me from the dead. Yes, I'm going to ascend to my father But Jesus and even the heavenly messengers were very clear with the followers of Jesus that a day would come when he's going to return again. They were very clear. And his return would usher in the fullness of God's kingdom. That we see the kingdom arriving with Jesus' arrival. We see the flavor of it, it breaking in, samples if you will. But when Jesus comes back, his kingdom's going to come In its fullness. And we've talked about so many times. The already but not yet. It's here but not in its fullness. And he's going to come in the Father's glory. And he's going to be joined by angelic messengers. And this he says will be a reckoning time. He says he will reward. I will reward. The word reward means give what is due. It has both a positive and a negative sense to it. It'll be a time of righting the wrongs. For those who deserve to be given positively, they'll get positively. But those who don't deserve positively will get negatively. And Jesus says the reckoning is going to be based on what has been done. What has been done. Now this verse doesn't capture Individual isolated moments. That's that's not the language here. It's basically the overall theme of someone's life. The overall representation of one life. Rather than the individual details. Was it a life lived in surrender? Was it a life lived in obedience? Was it a life lived aligned with kingdom priorities? Or was it a life lived for self? For gain? For materialism? For personal priorities? He wants them to see that the way they live their earthly life has implications for eternal life. Folks, the truth is, our lives here and now are not detached from eternal implications. Now, people don't like to hear that. And, you know, more and more people don't want to preach that. But this life, this world has a shelf life. This life and this world has a shelf life. Life as we know it here is going to come to an end. Jesus is coming back. That's what the Bible teaches. Now, that doesn't mean we don't respect the earth. I believe we should, Christians should be the greatest environmentalists of taking care of God's creation. I believe that. It doesn't mean that we squander this earth, that we don't take care of it because it has a shelf life. And it doesn't mean that life here doesn't mean anything because we're going on to something bigger. No, what is happening here now matters. This world matters. That's not what I'm saying. But what we do know is that there is a shelf life. When people say to me, you know, if time continues, this world's going to run out and run down. Yes, I know. The Bible tells me that. It's going to be destroyed. No, the Bible doesn't tell me that. Oh, it will be destroyed, but not by what you think. The world has a shelf life. We don't know when. We're not supposed to know when. And we don't listen to the people who predict when. And if we spend our time listening to the people who are trying to figure it out for us, we are wasting our time when we could be using that better in the kingdom of God. Somebody please say amen to that. And take the millions that it's costing you to be on TV to figure it out and give it to something that matters. kind of telling you how I really feel. We don't know when. We're not supposed to know when. And we're not supposed to waste our time trying to figure out when. But we're, tr- we're supposed to live as if it could happen at any moment. That's what we're called to. Work while it is day because night is coming when the work will cease. You do what you can. And you're ready and you're looking and you're ready at any moment. We should never... Use this truth to invoke fear. Man, I grew up in a home where if they couldn't get you one way, they'd scare to death out of you with the second coming. Truth should never be used to invoke fear. Instead, Jesus' coming should invoke joy and excitement. Is there anything more joyous and exciting than when the King of kings and the Lord of lords appears? But it's important. That we not lose sight of the fact that how we spend our earthly life will have eternal implications. In fact, in Matthew seven twenty one to 23 Jesus gets very specific and it's so stinking scary. This is what he said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Hmm, The will, the surrendered, obedient life. And he says, oh, this is where it really gets scary. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow. Folks, this is, <laughs> this is powerful stuff. I mean, we're not just talking about the nominally Christian here. But we're talking about driving out demons and performing miracles and prophesying in his name. This is big stuff. I mean, we pay people a lot of money to come in and do cra- crusades to do all this. Jesus' point is this. Salvation is not found by calling him Lord. Salvation is found by living in obedience and doing what he asked us to do. That's salvation. It's not a facade of Christianity. It's not a picking what's convenient and leaving out what isn't. It's living in obedience, a submitted life, a kingdom life, doing what he asks us to do, letting your feet hit the floor every morning. My life is not mine. This is yours. Use it as you will. He wants us to see that this earthly life has eternal implications. And when he returns, only those who, are give, who have given their lives to him in obedience, only those who surrender all that they are and all that they do, only those who make the kingdom of God the priority of their lives are going to spend eternity with him. His word's not mine. And he will reward those who are faithful And he will reject those who are not. We will stand before Jesus. And every one of us. And we will give an account of our lives. And it's important that we not lose sight of that. Every one of us will be accountable for our lives. Because in God's kingdom, how we live our lives today determines how we spend Eternity, when Jesus returns. That's what he says. I'm going to invite our worship team back. Folks, the value system of the world no longer applies when we become followers of Jesus. In God's kingdom, to find life, you have to surrender it. In God's kingdom, the priority of our temporary lives cannot be elevated above eternal life. In God's kingdom, earthly wealth and accomplishment pale in comparison to the reward of faithfully serving Jesus in obedience. Because in God's kingdom, how we live our lives today determines How we spend eternity when Jesus returns. Would you stand with me this morning? We said when we started out that this cross road. There's a road that he has to walk and he has to bear. And the humiliation and the suffering and the obedience and the submission. But that he makes it clear on that road that it's not just... Him that's going to bear a cross, but there's a cross that we bear too. And he unpacks that for us in these verses and says, listen, you can't take this lightly. You can't take this lightly. This is significant. This is important. It's a tough road, but it's all in reverse. You want life? You lay it down. When you lay it down, you'll have it. It's upside down. It's reversed. It's backwards. It's not anything like the world promotes. But it's the truth of the kingdom. I'm going to invite our prayer team this morning to come. If you're here today and you have needs and you want prayer, I want to encourage you to come. We want to pray for you, encourage you, help you. But as our worship team leads us this morning, you know, this is not your typical happy March break sermon probably. But you know what? We're in the Lent season. A season of repentance. A season of seeing the truth and preparing our hearts for the victory and the hope that comes in Jesus Christ. And we can't lose sight of the truth. We can't lose sight of that. We have to realign ourselves every day. Over and over and over. Because we are just so prone to get off track. But he's calling us back. And so I encourage you this morning. Maybe you're here and you've never committed your life to Christ and perhaps I haven't presented it in a way that will make you want to run up here because it's so rewarding and, and yummy and wonderful. But I want you to know the truth this morning. Your life matters. You can live in God's kingdom or outside. And if you live in his kingdom, the rewards are greater than anything that you could ever find in this world. And if you're here this morning and you haven't made that decision, this could be a day where your life is forever changed. Not just here, but for eternity. But for those of us who at some point along the way or many points along the way recommitted our lives to Christ, this is another recommitment moment this morning. This is another recommitment moment. Lord, my life is yours. I surrender in obedience. Use it. All I have is yours. All I am is yours. We sing it all the time. Today we make the commitment. We pray it. We mean it. And when we leave here, we live it. We live it. So prayer time, team, if you would come. Worship team, if you'd lead us. And just allow the Holy Spirit, whatever it is he's stirring up in your heart this morning, whatever it is he's, he's saying to you and showing you would, you, would you respond positively to him this morning and let him change your life, your priorities, your values, your purpose.